Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting with verses 11, no, starting with verses 14, and we'll go through verse 18. Uh, this is the third time we've preached on this text, but that's because this is a very, very important text, and this morning is no different. I promise next week, though, we will move on. Paul says this, it's in a bulletin if you don't have your Bibles, for he himself, referring to Jesus, he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who has made the two one. The two different races of Jews and Gentiles we saw last week, Jesus has made them one. Uh, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself, to create within himself one new man out of the two. The Jews and the Gentiles always hated each other, but Jesus makes one new race of people. That's what we talked about last week. One new race out of the two, and thereby he makes peace. And in his one body, he reconciles both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I also want to just read a little bit here out of John chapter 20. This is the first time Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, and he says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. The first words out of his mouth were, Peace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the uh, life that you have given to us and, and just the joy that we have in your presence and the way we can sing and dance and celebrate your goodness, Lord. It's a goodness that uh, the world cannot know. It's a joy, Lord, that, that dwarfs in significance any other kind of earthly joy. And thank you for your spirit who's been here to make the music fruitful for the kingdom. And we, Lord, ask that that same spirit would be present with the delivering of your word, Lord, that it would bear kingdom fruit and produce what we're talking about. So this wouldn't, Lord, just be an abstract, theoretical kind of a thing but that would be a real thing that changes us. But your spirit has got to do that. My words cannot. And so we turn it over to you. In your name we pray. Amen. The passenger talks about peace, and we talked last week about racial peace and how the church should be the place where there's racial reconciliation. The passage, I think, also has applicability, though, to all kinds of peace. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How the peace that is Jesus himself applies not just to racial situations, though it always applies there, but to other areas as well. I don't think I'd have to argue with any of you that the world in which we live is a conflict-ridden world. It's a world full of strife, a world full of war, and a world full of hostility. You read just this last week about this group called Hamas. Are you aware of them? Hamas. Radical... Uh, Radical fundamentalist group, they don't represent mainline Muslims, but it's a radical, uh, militant fundamentalist group. And their whole reason for being is to prevent peace from occurring in the Middle East, because in their mind, they don't want peace, they want to win. And they will not, they've vowed, they've covenanted that they will not cease their terror terrorist activities until Muslims control the whole Middle East, because they believe it belongs to Allah. And there are, of course, Jews, Zionists, who believe the same thing, but not about Allah, but about Jehovah. And this last week we had 20 people killed because 
Person walked on a person from among the Hamas walked on this bus uh, with all these explosives on him, on him, and it was a suicide sort of a thing, and blew up the bus. And the week before that, they assassinated a 19-year-old Israeli soldier, and they say that they're going to keep on doing this. And given the, the sides, given the theological convictions that lie behind both sides, you, you wonder how is peace ever possible? I don't think it is. It goes against our American optimism. We think that there's, you know, always, uh, peace is always possible. But that, I don't think that over there it is. And there hasn't been peace over there for centuries, and I, I don't... It's good that they're striving for it, but I, I don't know if it will ever happen. But it's not just there. In my more cynical moments, and I'm kind of in one right now, <laughs> I don't think the world ever will, until the Lord comes back, have significant peace. I made a bet with a man uh, from a member of the Baha'i faith. And this is honest truth. There's this, the Baha'i, this guy in the Baha'i faith, they, they believe that Allah, the founder of the Baha'i faith, prophesied that at the year 2000, after the year 2000, there'd be no more wars in the world. And I, the bet with him is that, is that if a war breaks out after the year 2000, he promises me that that will disprove the Baha'i faith and he'll become a Christian. That's not a bad bet. Now, but see... <laughs> And then if wars never do break out at the year 2000, I'll become a, uh, a Baha'i. <laughs> well, we're not going to know that for a couple of centuries now, will we? <laughs> so, all right. Well, anyways, that, that's the bet. I don't think, you know, you look at Rwanda. You know, the world is just so full of conflict, and I don't see it getting a whole lot better. Rwanda, nightmarish, nightmarish evil. 300 to 500,000 people, civilians, just brutally murdered. Because of their race, it's, it's, and, and in ways that were unthinkable. You read about that in the paper, and it's like, ah, it's hard to imagine that. But the hatred that runs so deep, a hostility that runs so deep, it, it's, it's almost unthinkable, but it's all around. Bosnia, same thing. The Bosnians and the Serbs, uh, just nightmares, things done to one another. Conflict. So, South Africa, up till very recent, recently, was apartheid. Uh, but even before that, and even during that, and even after that, there's bitterness between different tribes uh, in Africa that they live to exterminate the other. And, and it's been going on for centuries, just conflict all around. But it's not just in other countries, like America's, you know, the land of the peace. Uh, America's got it too. We talked last week about racial tension. This morning, front page of the paper, headlines was about uh, racial tension and inequity and firings and all sorts of stuff like that. Two days ago, there's an article that I read about uh, a book that recently came out. Um, and, and this, this uh, writer said that this book touches a nerve, a raw nerve in American society. He called it the raw nerve in American society. It was the nerve of race relations. It's there, like we said last week. It's just beneath the surface. You don't know it. Things look okay. But if you touch that nerve, start talking about race, poof. Because there's, there's, a under, there's an undercurrent of hostility, tension, nervousness, anxiety. A lack of peace. And it's not just about race. It's in families. We've had domestic violence triple in the last 10 years. We have a divorce rate of 46%. Crime is, is not on the decrease. It's on the rise. Violent crime, especially among young people. And some of the things we're reading today in the paper being done by young people, and I'm not talking under 20, I'm talking under 10, is almost unthinkable. You know, this last week or two weeks ago, I guess it was now, we read about these two young People, 11, what is it, 11 and 14-year-old, dropped a 5-year-old 14 floors out of a building to his death because he wouldn't steal candy for him. I may be wrong, but I don't remember kids doing that 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago. It's, it's like, 
it's like uh, they're possessed or something. And in, in Norway, uh, this last week, there's this six-year-old and a seven-year-old who beat a five-year-old unconscious and then let her freeze to death out in the snow. Where do the kids get this? In Detroit last year, there's a kid who just got a pistol and went out and off somebody because he thought it would be a cool thing to do. No regard for human life. And in Britain this last year, there's these uh, uh, two, two kids, 10 and 11 years old, I guess they were, and they kidnapped this toddler and tied him to a railroad track and let her train run over him. A world of just unthinkable nightmarish hostility and cruelty and bitterness and hatred and disregard for human life. But you know, we don't have to go outside of ourselves even to discover a lack of peace because the lack of peace starts in the human heart. And if there are groups of Hamas out there in the world who live to ruin peace in the world, there are also Hamas things in our heart that always seem to prevent peace from becoming a reality in our heart. In fact, my own conviction, and I'll say more about this later on, but my own conviction is that the war out there is simply a reflection of the war in here. I don't think you'll ever have peace out there until you have peace in there. We have Hamas things in our heart. For some of you, the Hamas is the marriage that you're in. You wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, you go throughout your whole day, and that marriage is like one big Hamas that prevents you from really feeling good about life, from really feeling comfortable, from really having peace or any kind of tranquility. It's a turbulent marriage. And for some of you, the Hamas is your children. The disappointments that have come about, the dreams that you had just aren't materializing. Maybe they're turning into nightmares. And that is what is your Hamas. It keeps you from having peace. For some of you, it's your, your declining health. For some of you, maybe it's your declining appearance. You got so much life out of your appearance, and now it seems to be going downhill, and, and that's a hard thing for you to accept. For some of you, your Hamas is maybe your finances. You're in a financial situation that always brings about disturbance, and, and, and you can't rest, and you just can't have peace, and you can't feel wholeness. And for some of you, the Hamas isn't anything in particular at all. It's simply a sense that life is empty, and you don't even know why. You feel like you're missing it. I feel like that sometimes. It's like it's just like there's got to be more. Uh, you feel like you're just missing it, and you don't have peace. You don't have tranquility in the inner heart. This passage that we read in Ephesians basically says this concerning all those different kinds of anxiety and tension and war and hostility, the war within our heart and the war out there. Peace is possible. Peace is possible, but it's not through some external solution. The peace is possible in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, the text says, verse 14, is our peace. Now, how is he our peace? Follow me on this. It's a strange analogy, but what's new? Here's, here's, here's the analogy. How many people here have been to the uh, Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome downtown? A lot of you haven't, so you're not going to be able to follow this, but... Most of you have. What happens when you walk out of the, the Metrodome after a baseball game or something? Right. You're walking along talking to people, and all of a sudden it's like, we're gone. <laughs> There's a wind tunnel. You get sucked out. It's like, whoa, you know. And your hair, that nice hairdo you had, all of a sudden goes, Bruh. and the dress goes, Bruh. you see kids hanging out of the door, you know. <laughs> oh. Now, here's why that happens. Because you see the pre- and this is what I'm told anyways, I have no idea if this is true, but uh, let's pretend. 
The pressure inside the Metrodome is greater than the pressure outside because they want to keep the people in there comfortable and whatever, and they breathe oxygen, and you know, most people do, and they bring, you know, and so the pressure inside the Metrodome is greater than the pressure outside in most weather conditions, and that creates a discrepancy, and, and the high pressure fights against the low pressure because nature abhors a vacuum into the Metrodome, the air in the Metrodome, and thinks the outside is a vacuum, so it rushes out of the Metrodome trying to fill the atmosphere in the outside, and that creates a wind tunnel. Never say you didn't learn anything from me. And I'm told by Dave Dahl that that's how all wind is caused. <laughs> I should have used the text, the, the, the wind blows where it listeth. Or, you know, John 3, 5. The wind blows where it will and the spirit goes. Anyways, um, yeah, see there are low pressure points and there are high pressure points in, in the atmosphere. And, and what I'm told, Dave Dahl says that that, uh, um, that that means since nature abhors a vacuum, it, it, the high pressure races in to fill the low pressure, and that creates wind like we had last night. Man, it was blowing all over the place. Well, somewhere around here, there's a low pressure point, and, and all the high pressure point wind is saying, I got to get there, I got to get there, we got to fill it, we got to fill it. So it rushes in. Or, or, or you might say, you know, that, that low pressure point is saying, Feed me, you know, I need some air. And so the, it's, it's sucking up into this black hole all the other the air molecules, and that it creates wind. Hallelujah. Can you say amen, somebody? <laughs> okay, well, here's the point. He said, what has this got to do with anything? Ultimately, the reason why there's not peace in people's life is because people have within their heart, maybe all of us have at different points in our heart, this defines our soul, a low pressure point. And what is true physically is also true spiritually. Nature abhors a vacuum. And we have within our heart a vacuum, a need, a black hole, if you will. And we try to fill it with all the things that are around us, and that creates sort of a wind tunnel, a, a veritable hurricane or tornado in our life. And that is the lack of peace. That is ultimately the source of every Hamas in our existence, is the vacuum in our soul. God didn't create us to be like that. He did create us with a vacuum, but the vacuum was for Him. And God wants to fill our life with the fullness of His life, the fullness of His joy. God created us to be high pressure points in the creation. So that we would be like the metronome. We'd receive life from Him. It would be pumped into us. His life, His joy, His peace, His love. And we would then flow out, like the doors of the metronome flow out, and give unilaterally love and peace and joy to those around us, and even to the rest of the creation. We're to take care of the creation out of the fullness of life that we have by virtue of our relationship with, with Jesus Christ. But the fall, as you know, and sin, as you know, and our apathy, as you know, and so many other things, as you know, ruin that. Because it blocks off our relationship with God. Sin blocks off our relationship with God. And if God's not being poured into our life, the vacuum is still there. But now, instead of getting life sucking life off of God, we start to absorb everything around us. We become the low-pressure point system, and everything else becomes the high-pressure point system, and everything tries to rush in there to fill it. It'd be like, it'd be like if they stopped pumping oxygen into the Metrodome. I'm guessing now, but, but, but it, I bet it would, it would become the low-pressure point, and it'd start to suck air from, from, from around it. And walking out of those doors, instead of walking like this, you'd have to be going like this you know, to get out, because all the air on the outside would be trying to get on the inside. It'd be like the, the metrodome becoming this incredible vacuum, this incredible black hole, trying to suck up all of Minneapolis, saying, feed me. I got to get some air in here. 
And that's what happens to the human soul when we stop getting life from above. We start to look at the world around us and we say, feed me. I got this black hole. I got this vacuum. I'm a low pressure point. I'm literally spiritually depressed. And everything around us begins to fall into our life as a way of trying to meet the hole in the soul, to fill the hole in the soul. And and, and it looks kind of like this. We need life. We need love. We need joy. We need peace. We need meaning. But since we're not getting it from God, we got to... The process of, of, of flowing out that God created us to have is now reversed, and everything starts to fill in to fill that hole. And so I turn to the things around me and the people around me as a way of trying to fill the hole in my soul. And maybe it, it's money. Maybe I, I think that if I can just make enough money and I just get rich, I'll fill the hole in my soul. My life will have some kind of meaning and significance. Or maybe it's my spouse. My spouse is supposed to make me happy. My spouse is supposed to make my life meaningful. Or maybe it's my kids. If my kids turn out right, then they'll make my life meaningful. Or maybe it's the promotion that you're hoping for, or the clothes that you wear, or the car that, that you drive, or the house that you live in, or the achievements that you have, or a talent that you can show off. Or for some people, they try to suck life out of getting everybody to like them and think that they're funny or think that they're Christian, or some people, it's, it's their religion. And it all is a matter of a vacuum trying to suck up air around it. A low pressure point saying, i got to get full of something. And that is ultimately the source, the wind tunnel, the wind tunnel of things going into your life, trying to wring some hope and life and meaning out of them. That wind tunnel is what is disturbance, it is, what is, a, is, is a lack of tranquility. It is what is worry, it is what is anxiety, it is what is perpetually, perpetual desire. Because it never does fill it, does it? We become walking vacuums, walking black holes. Walking low pressure point systems, walking people who are perpetually hungry and perpetually empty, trying to fill their hunger and emptiness with the things around them, and it doesn't work. It just does not work. You never get enough. And no matter how much we see that, we still keep on doing it. And then we blame the things for not filling us. See, this is how it works. If it wasn't for this, I could be happy. If it wasn't for this, my life would be full. If it wasn't for you, I'd be an okay person. If it wasn't for you, my life wouldn't be ruined. If it wasn't for you, I could go to sleep and sleep great at night. But because of you, because of this, because of that, and we get into this if-only mode, if, if only I got the promotion or got the better car or got the bigger house or got the different wife or got a wife or got a husband, if only my health wasn't so bad, if only my past wasn't so jaded, if only my parents hadn't treated me so bad, if only I hadn't made these decisions, if only my character was a little bit different, if only I didn't have to go to therapy, if only I could find some therapy, if only, if only, if only... And we blame our lack of peace and wholeness on the things around us. But here's what I want you to see. Nothing that I just pointed to is a Hamas in your life. What is the Hamas? Is, this, is, is the vacuum that latches onto those things as the solution. You know, if a tornado comes ripping through your neighborhood and lifts up your house and starts spinning your house around up in the air, the house is spinning up in the air because of the tornado. The house doesn't cause the tornado. <laughs> or, or, or if, you're, if, if you're at the Metrodome and you see people going out the door and all of a sudden they, they go like this, you wouldn't say, oh, look, they're creating a vacuum. You know, they're creating a wind tunnel. Quit walking like that so we won't have a wind tunnel. All the things that we point to, the external things, the external circumstances, the external situations that we blame for bringing the lack of peace in our life, they're simply the debris that the tornado of your own life has picked up. But the tornado was there before and above, and 
without consideration to that debris. But we blame the debris for creating the, the tornado. What you need to see is that the issue is far more fundamental than that. It's the hole in the soul. It's the vacuum. It's the low pressure point system. And if you have that, you're going to be just sucking up all sorts of stuff. And when it doesn't fit, you know, it, 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 when it, I keep looking at this, when it doesn't, <laughs> you're trying to get life from, from the, you know, this is, can be your job or your car or your wife, whatever. You're trying to get life from it. Oh, by the way, you're wondering why I have this duct tape on my shirt. <laughs> we are such a sophisticated church. Uh, I, we couldn't find the, the clipper thing, and so we got some tape. And in Jesus' name, we taped it on. So <laughs> we spare every expense to make sure things go right around here. Okay, back to my thing. I'm trying to get life from my wife or my car or, or what have you, but it doesn't go in. And so I blame the thing for not going in. But plants were never meant to go in. And, and spouses were never meant to fill you. And jobs were never meant to make, make you complete. The world was never meant to be God. God was meant to be God. Don't blame the things and the circumstance for making a lack of peace. The lack of peace goes deeper. The hole in the soul has got to be filled. You know, and, and, and I, without trying to be overly simplistic, it is the vacuum in, in uh, be healed. Look at that. Yes. <laughs> I know. That was, a, that was a cheap miracle. Actually, I, I want you to know, I faked it. I, I don't want people bringing their plants to church to get healed. You know? <laughs> Will you please pray for my Venus flytrap? It's, it's, it's spitting out flies. <clears throat> the, the church, you know, that could be a new niche. The church that heals plants, you know. After all, we were a church plant. Never mind, I'm sorry. Uh, that, okay, okay. Okay, sorry. Sorry. The tornadoes in the world are caused because there's tornadoes in the soul. For my last piece of profound wisdom, if you get ten pieces of an apple pie and put it together, you get an apple pie. You don't get a cherry pie, you don't get a steak. So also, if you get six billion people who have got wars in their soul and put them together, are you going to have peace? You get six, six billion people that, are, that, that walk around with vacuums, put them together on the planet, you don't get fullness. You can't, the whole can't be more than the sum of the parts. And the peace of the world can never outrun the peace in the human heart. And you can have all the external solutions and programs and schemes that you want, but in the end, they're simply going to dress up their tornadoes. But until the, the, the tornado in the heart goes away, the wars in the world can't go away. As long as, to go back to last week, as long as people try to suck some life and significance out of, say, the racial identification, you're going to have racial strife. And you can try to dress it up and color it and do all this other kind of stuff, but the problem's in the heart, and until you change the heart, you're not going to change the problem. Now, in the light of all this, the passage that we read this morning says, Jesus is our peace. It doesn't say that Jesus, and this is how a lot of times Christians take it, it doesn't say that Jesus is going to bring us peace. It doesn't say that Jesus will fix our external situation and make everything nice and that, so you can be happy. It doesn't say he's going to give you just the job you want and he's going to give you a perfect marriage and he's going to give you perfect health. It's going to make your life just rosy because then you can be peaceful because you could be as carnal as all get out and be peaceful with that. But the Bible never promises that. What Jesus promises is peace. But he says in John 14, in the world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. That's the, 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 claim this promise in the word of God. You're going to have trouble. 
But he said, don't let your heart be troubled. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give unto you. It's the peace that Paul says passes all understanding. And what is this peace? It's not the peace of God supernaturally giving you a lot of money or giving you a better job or giving you a better family or giving you better kids or giving you better health. It's not that. Though that might happen, praise God. But it's the peace, the Bible says, that is Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself. It's not what he does, it's who he is. Think for a second about Peter. Peter, when the Lord was being tried and going through all of that, Peter at least was sticking around a little bit because the rest of the people had run, but Peter was kind of staying behind a little bit. But three times people said, don't I recognize you? Weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his disciples? You know, you knew this guy, didn't you? And Peter goes, no way! I don't know what you're talking about. Never knew the man. Denied it emphatically. And for the third time, the cock crowed, and, and um, uh, then Peter remembered that Jesus had prophesied that. Now, 72 hours later, I mean, this is flat out denying that you know with the Lord at all. Just to save your own skin. No excuses possible. 72 hours later, Peter hears the word that Jesus rose from the dead. And we often think, oh, that must have been such a joyous, wonderful, happy time for them. But put yourself in Peter's shoes. I don't think it was for him. You mean I got to face him again? I got to look him in the eyes again? What's he going to say to me? What am I going to say to him? Think for a moment of what the shame would be like having to go up to Jesus Christ and you just contributed to his crucifixion because you were too scared to admit that you knew him. Would he be angry? Would he be very disappointed? Peter, I'm really disappointed in you. How could you? You're all talk, aren't you? You're all talk, no substance. Peter, I don't think that that was good news for him. In fact, the Bible says that... that, that tells us that what he did is he went out fishing. It's kind of like, you know, and I could see that. This is how I'd feel. How am I ever going to look him in the eyes? I've got no excuse. I just, I abandoned him. And so he basically said, you guys, you can wait around for him, but I'm going to go out fishing. I'm going to go back to what I do. Because whatever program Jesus has got for the future now, I know I've blown my credibility. I've blown my credentials. I'm not a part of it. Sometimes we feel like that. Well, we have the first words of Jesus that he gave to his disciples here in the upper room, and I read them earlier in John chapter 20. Jesus appears, they're scared, they're in this upper room. Peter's with them, and he's full of shame. Maybe the rest of them are full of shame, too, because they didn't do any better than Peter. They didn't even go as far as Peter, but then Jesus shows up to them. He's, he's there. And his first words out of his mouth aren't what we sometimes hear, I'm really disappointed in you. No, he didn't even tell, tell Peter, well, listen, we're going to have to put you on some kind of a three-year program to prove yourself worthy again. No anger, no shame. The first word out of his mouth is peace. Peace. The word means shalom. The, word, the Hebrew word is shalom. Wholeness. What the Lord is saying there is, is in essence, I'm here and I'm with you and it's okay. I'm here, it's with you, and it's okay. In the midst of your shame, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the struggles, I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm okay. And peace comes in our life when we let that, I'm here, I'm with you, and it's okay, when we let that be louder than all the other storms in our life. The way to tackle the Hamas is not so much by trying to fix the external debris of your tornado. 
The way to fix the Hamas is to let Jesus come in right in the middle of it. As you are, can you, as you are right now, in your situation, no matter how bad it is, allow the Lord to tell you in no uncertain terms, I'm here, I'm with you, and it's okay, it just doesn't matter. What's eternal is settled on the, on the cross, and everything else is a footnote. It's going to be okay. For some of you, the Hamas, as I said earlier, is your marriage. A turbulent marriage, a tough marriage, an incompatible marriage full of anger, full of strife. And the harder you try to fix it, the more broken it seems to get. And you're full of worry about that or maybe anger about that. Keep on working on the marriage. Do that. Don't stop. Don't abandon it. But do not let your internal peace, the center of your being, be defined by how good your marriage is. Don't wait till the marriage gets better before you decide to be a whole person. Be a whole person in the midst of the terrible marriage. And you can do that because God gives us a peace that passes all understanding, Paul says. A peace that passes marital conflict. Don't let the marriage define who you are. And you know what? Here's the irony. When we get life poured into us from above and we get full, the vacuum gets complete, that's the best possible thing you could do for your marriage. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to not be sucking life out of it. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to have a life that you can bring to the marriage because now you become like the metrodome. You become a high pressure point. You have some life to bring to the marriage, some joy to bring to the marriage, some peace to bring to the marriage. And there's a better chance that that marriage might get fixed. But what if it doesn't? Okay. It's okay. What if it doesn't? Does that mean that you have to go your whole life without being full? Marriages weren't meant to make you full. God was. Get life from God, and 70 years in a tough marriage is tolerable. You can do it. But if your very being hangs upon your marriage, you're going to crack with it. For some of you, it's, it's your kids. You know, things just didn't turn out right. That's your Hamas, and you keep thinking, if I just you know, didn't have these kids, or they were a little different or whatever, or maybe they've grown up and you got a lot of shame because of the way they turned out, and you blame yourself. You know, keep working with your kids. Do that, great. you got to stay involved there. I'm not saying ignore it. Care. But don't let your life be defined by the life of your kids. They're God's kids before they're your kids. Get a life of your own and get it from Jesus Christ. Don't let the circumstance of your children define how much peace you have or wholeness you have. And the irony is that when you no longer need your kids to have a life, you've got a whole lot more chance of making your kids the way they ought to be, of helping them become who they should be, because now you're like the metrodome. You have a life to bring to it, a joy to bring to it. For others of you, it's a financial situation that's your Hamas. For others of you, it's the past, the past that you've done, and shame that you carry with you, and you wonder how anyone, let alone, let alone God, can love you given, given your past. For some of you, it's the past that was done to you. And you think, if only I hadn't been abused, if only I hadn't been rejected by people I trusted, then my life would be okay. And you wonder if you're going to live your whole life as a footnote to, to, the, to, to, to the pain that was inflicted on you. What if, what if that turns out to be the case? What if the finances never get better? What if, what if uh, the scars from mistakes you've done or mistakes that were done to you, what if they never go away? You know what? Can you hear... A voice from the Lord looking you straight eye into eye like he did to Peter. And just to say, I'm here, and I ain't leaving, and it's okay. What's eternal, what matters most, doesn't change. And the irony is that if you have a center that is unconditional, without qualification, no ifs, ands, or buts, this 
the center of God's unconditional acceptance saying, I'm with you in all situations, which fills the deepest need of the soul. When you have that, you've got a whole lot more life to bring to your wounds, to bring to your troubles, your financial situation, a lot more resources to actually make it better. We do best in life at fixing it when we don't need to fix it to be okay. When we're okay in the midst of whatever the problems are, because Jesus is there, now we're in a situation to make it better than what it right now is. But as long as our peace is like the peace of the world and hangs upon what's upon us, what's around us, the vacuum is going to keep on asking for more and more and more and more and more. If you're waiting for the joy to come after you get through therapy, waiting for the joy to come when the marriage gets better, or when the kids get better, or when the finances get better, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. They'll just pick up more debris at something else. Find the peace of Jesus this morning that says, I'm here, I'm with you, and it's okay. Father, you've given us your peace, your peace, the peace that characterizes you. And that's a peace that passes all understanding, Lord, because when we're in the situations that some of us are in this morning, God, everything natural says we ought to be anxious and disturbed and full of turmoil. But Lord, I would pray, we're praying now together, Lord, that your peace of the Holy Spirit would fill the hole in the soul that makes us hungry for the things around us, God.